Well, good evening, everybody, uh, and welcome to our October Coaches Corner and our special guest uh, this evening, Richard Thomas, a man who's had a wealth of experience working in football in the semi-professional game as manager at Grantham Town, assistant manager at Notts County, and has been academy manager at Leighton Orient and Watford. He is currently a first-team coach for Wales women who've had an impressive start to their World Cup qualifying campaign with wins against Kazakhstan and Estonia, making it six points from six. Is the current West Ham first-team coach, Kevin Nolan, described Richard as one of the best coaches that he's worked with. And those that attended last month will remember that Matt Hamshaw commented on how much he learned watching Richard coach while they were both doing the UEFA A licence. An excellent guest again, Ryan. As always, as always. Okay, well, before we get kicked off into the questions, you will know by now that Ryan loves a poll, and it is, in fact, the highlight of the month. It's a little sort of window into my life that it is the highlight of the month, to be honest. You know, it's the one bit of power I've got left in my left in my life. That I can I get to choose this, this question, you know, so I revel in it, yeah. And for those that tuned in last month, you'll know that I've upped the answer. You actually... You actually have to have some knowledge uh, to answer the question. It's not pot luck. Um, a bit of knowledge is required uh, on this on this podcast, on this webinar. Um, so, um, so here's the question um, related to our guest tonight. The question is: Where are Wales women in the F in the FIFA International World Rankings? So, have a go at answering that. Let's see who's, who knows who knows their women's football. And whilst you are doing that, a bit of housekeeping from myself. Now, Spencer has just touched on um, with his introduction there. Richard has got the full suite of experience um, in football. Theme at the women's game, the men's game, non-league football, professional football. So a great opportunity for you guys to ask loads and loads of questions into Richard. Get those questions into the Q&A box for me, um, okay? So that makes my life much easier when we're getting people on ask some questions. If you want to share while you're, while you're on the webinar tonight, um, your contact details, your LinkedIn address, Twitter address, anything like that, or any general comments, what is being said, um, then the chat box um, is for that. I'll be sharing my LinkedIn address a little bit later and feel free to connect with myself as well uh, okay okay let's have a look at spencer what, what do you think i'm gonna take a wild guess ryan that it's 34th it's almost like we've prepared it yeah it's not thrown together this ryan it's not thrown together unlike a telly i do want to mention it again <laughs> Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'll just I'll just share that uh, there, so everybody should see. Okay, a third of you, not not too bad, not too bad at all. But I'm sure, as you said in the introduction, winning games. I'm sure they are going in the right direction. Well, let's find out, Spencer. Okay, thanks, Ryan. Uh, good evening, Richard. Welcome. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for giving us your time. Yeah. yeah so, so where are you at the moment, Richard? Uh, I am at the Vale in uh, down in Wales. We just started camp yesterday. We reported last night, so I've had to set this up in my hotel room. So apologies for that, but, uh, but it looks a nice hotel anyway. So. Very nice. 
so Richard, uh, a warm welcome. Um, you were recently appointed uh, with Wales Women as first team coach. Can you tell us a bit about how that job came about and what your real roles and responsibilities are with Wales? Sure, yeah. The, the, the way the job came about, I was still a county manager at uh, Watford at the time. And Gemma Granger, who um, is the manager here, was appointed only sort of two weeks prior to the camp in April. Um, so given that lack of notice, she was somewhat scrambling, which is no surprise that why well, I'm getting myself involved. Um, but we had crossed paths on numerous occasions in the past um, at St George's, actually, she spent a lot of time, I think 11 years in total at the FA, um, working with different teams in the male and the female side of the game. Um, and we had, like I say, cross paths on different courses or at different times or had um, lots of crossover in the people we, we knew well. Um, and so I got a call out of the blue, is there any chance you could come and help for the first camp only um, whilst I put a backroom team together? So I was more than happy to do that. I hadn't had um, any more experience in the female game than you know working in in schools actually uh, was my only real experience so I just saw it as an unbelievable opportunity to one to support someone that I got on well with and, and you know knew that I would connect with um, because we had in the past all not without having actually worked together um, as a management team um, but also for my own you know selfish selfishly to, to learn as much as I could um, about this side of the game um, and the industry again I guess. And so you're you're on camp obviously this week because you've got two games coming up, Slovenia and, and Estonia. So I mean, how how does it look for for the week? So you, I think you met um, was it yesterday that the team started coming together? Yeah. So we report at uh, three o'clock yesterday afternoon, and the players sort of feed in from six o'clock onwards. Some might still be playing, so they might travel after their games and arrive later. But the girls are slowly filtering as the evening goes on from six o'clock onwards, um, and then things sort of get going in earnest on a Monday morning, really. Generally, you know, we're very fortunate this week because generally a Monday will be only those players that, that weren't involved yesterday in their league games. Um, but this week in particular, the girls finished last Thursday. The last game was last Thursday in this country. We've yeah. still got two players that have flown in from the States today who did play over the weekend. Um, but normally on a Monday morning, you work in a very small number um, and then you really only get Tuesday and Wednesday um, with the match day minus one on Thursday to play Friday. So the, the amount of time you've got to work with the players and the content you can get in is very, very limited. Um, the content yeah. you have to maximise, the time is limited. Um, and so, yeah, back to your first question, my role, roles and responsibilities are to support, you know, Gemma in the way that um, we'll design a game plan based on what we see from the opposition, what we think our strengths are that we can really maximise. And then it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a key part of designing training to draw out the outcomes we need to prepare for the, for the two games on each camp. Um, so, yes, it's pretty much as, a, as an assistant manager, I guess. Brilliant. So, I mean, there's lots of organisational skills there, and I'm guessing you honed a lot of those qualities during your time as uh, as academy manager, both at Orient um, and, and, and at Watford. Um, just talk to us about both of those roles and how, you know, what was the same job title actually differed across both clubs? Yeah, two really good clubs in different ways um, and obviously at completely opposite ends of the spectrum. So in that way, I feel very fortunate that I've had that exposure um, to see you know, what different environments can hold, what they're capable of. Um, and naturally, I think what springboarded me going to, into some of these related jobs is the success we managed to have at Orient. Um, so 
you know, look back very fondly on on both experiences. Actually, it was it's really interesting when you look at the two sort of in isolation. At Orient, we had a very small team of you know maybe seven or eight full time staff where everybody knew what was going on, everybody knew which direction we were going in, and everyone was somewhat on the same page. And you go to a Watford where you're dealing with sort of 30, 35, maybe 40 staff. And to keep that same scenario is, is very difficult. That was a real challenge. Um, but again, just another unbelievable opportunity to learn about how to try and manufacture, you know, um, a culture to try and lead in the right manner that gets people galvanised to go in the, in the same direction. So it's, it's very different because of the size of the staff, um, but the roles and responsibilities are very similar, organising structure and, and, and culture. <laughs> so were you still coaching at both or do you coach at... Uh, Lane Orient and maybe less so at Watford. How how did it work? Yeah, I coached. Uh, I coached permanently at Orient, along whilst being the academy manager. Um, yeah. And you know that was five or six years ago, and I think the industry is continuously refining what is required in each of the roles. Yeah. And the academy manager's position has very much become has moved towards more of a leadership position, which is less grass based. Um, and somewhat more uh, administrative, I would say, in, in a lot of cases. Not all, and you know, each academy and each club can decide to dictate how they deliver that. Um, and that was, you know, was, that was quite a challenge because I feel that I'm probably, you know, the most help to other people on the grass. Um, it, it's it probably made me realise that that's what I enjoy the most, as much as I would absolutely be an academy manager again if if that opportunity presented itself because I do enjoy. Being able to try and shape an entire environment and, and galvanise a team to, you know, go in the right direction as, as a team of staff, um, it, it became apparent that I felt my main skill set is out on the grass, and that is what I enjoy a lot. Um, but I did coach. You know, we had obviously everyone was aware of the, the what being somewhat turbulent in terms of manager turnover, and at some at one point, uh, 23 staff went to uh, be caretaker for the first team. And it allowed me an opportunity to step back in and just oversee the 23s for three or four months towards the end of one season, which I enjoyed because it was getting back out there with you know very good players um, that are on the cusp of trying to break into the first team or going on good loans at a good level. So it, it was there was some coaching involved, not quite as much as at Orient where it was every day and, and heavily involved. And you know, but even then, it's at yeah, both clubs. It, it, I think you need to have a very selfless mindset that you know I'm, I'm trying to cultivate the under nines and their staff all the way through to the 23. So that, that is what I do love because I have no preference on age, you know, whether they're six or 26, I just enjoy being out in the grass trying to help people get better. Yeah. Uh, male, female, I'm, I'm now established. It's, um, it's just my passion. So it's great. Yeah. With, um, oh, sorry, go on, Ryan. Yeah, I, I think it's probably a good one for us to come back to a little bit later on in terms of, you know, I'm sure we will, future of academies and the role of academy manager. Um, I think you really hit on something there. So I think guys listening in, have a think about that as well and perhaps present your thoughts to Richard a little bit later on. Spencer? Yeah, Richard, so going back to your time at Orient, so I mean, the academy manager's role is an extremely busy one and, and with a lot of responsibility. Did you find you got time to go and watch the, say, the under-9s and under-10s? And how, how did you see those players come into an impact uh, maybe on the coaching uh, in the like foundation phase, for example? Yeah, I think I, de I definitely made time. I lived at the club, um, and I think that is, I think if you're passionate, you don't mind doing that. And if that's if this is what you really love doing, you know, it's like everybody says, you get a job you love. It doesn't feel like work, does it? And yeah. that is that was very much the case. Um, and we were there. I think we were there sort of five nights a week. 
um, and naturally both days on the weekends. And you, you've got to be sensible. I didn't have you know, kids at the time. They were born at the end of my, my first son was born just towards the end of my time at, at Orient. So it was just myself and my wife. She was very understanding, um, very supportive and appreciated that, you know, in order to affect change and really sort of drive the direction that everyone was going to travel in, you do need to lead from the front. You need to set, you know, set the standards and, and live and breathe whatever your values are. Uh, yours personally will, will naturally come out. So they, they somewhat need to be aligned to what the club are asking for. Um, and if you're going to lead for me in any sort of appropriate manner, you need to live and breathe it and be at the coalface most of the time. Yeah. Um, so I got, I, I was there most of the time. I got a lot of exposure, you know, driving the minibus away on the, on the, on the weekend. None of that was beneath me and never would be. Um, and they're all vital roles, but they also teach you so much. Um, you know, I, I had a number of staff there that also crossed over. I had a, a, you know, a private company of my own. I started when I was quite young. And I was lucky that I was able to utilise the staff that were looking to break into full-time football, but there weren't the jobs available for them. And I could provide them with some hours during the day in schools and doing you know, usual stuff, yeah. you know, PPE cover, et cetera. So I was able to help them develop during the day and then you know, selfishly utilise that in the evening for Orient. So it was sort of a bit of a double hit, really. They were getting the hours they wanted and I was able to bring them up to speed more quickly. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it was before the days of the head of coaching. So I was very, very fortunate that our uh, FAYCD, um, as they're now titled, um, was Callum Munrak, who is now, I think, head of coaching at West Ham. Okay. Um, so he, he was our support from the FA. And I lent on him like a head of coaching because we didn't have one. Um, and it was a role that was being created at the time. And, you know, I just, it was very much the way I am. It's just, an, you know, I'm a bit of an open book happy to chat about most things, happy to bring people in and, and just let's see where we go with it. And he was phenomenal in terms of his level of support for not only myself to be a sounding board and, and someone to bounce off of, but he was also um, fantastic with the coaches, great manner, unbelievable, you know, depth of knowledge in terms of coach education and the game itself, having done what he'd done, um, you know, being a young player at Man United. Um, and his, his, his demeanour was just perfect to support all of our staff. And I just gave him free reign and went, listen, you do whatever you need to do. Mm. It helped me in terms of yeah. um, freeing me up, if you like. And it was just a second pair of hands to help support in that way. And then, you know, uh, saying at Orient, I was very lucky that I worked with Andy Edwards, who was Academy Director, also very involved, you know, and also great to assist with young coaches. His playing background was phenomenal, um, you know, in terms of, He'd had numerous promotions and been in very successful you know, environments um, at different levels in different divisions. So all that relatable experience was just great for me to lean on and, and learn off different people. But Callum was a huge support at that time. So that's what allowed me to sort of dip into different age groups and mm. work with different staff at different times and sort of buddy up with him, if you like. We tag team different staff at different times. Um, and we got a really good environment going there for, for some time. It was, it was really enjoyable when I look back on it and think about the experience. Yeah. So I just want to pick up on something Richard said. You were about your, your driving, driving the bus. And it's a bit of a rite of passage, isn't it, for any any developing coach to, to ride the bus. But who had the best bus, Latin Orient or Watford? Oh, <laughs> I think at Watford we had eight buses and drivers. <laughs> um, and at, uh, at Orient we had one that I this is gospel truth i broke down in the middle lane of the m25 nice to watford for, oh no i can go to arsenal 
uh, going to one of them. We were going there next door to each other. For anyone who doesn't know, and we were going to one of those two venues, and we broke down. And that, it, it took that for me to convince the chief exec at the time that we needed a new bus because that had been on top of the agenda for some time. I can assure you. Oh, I was at uh, Sheffield Wednesday when I was doing the 16s there, Richard. Part of my role was driving the bus, the disco bus we called it. So we'd pull up at you know at tournaments and there were all these fancy coaches, and we turned up on this thing that was probably about 15 years old. Uh, but that actually broke down on Woodhead, and those in the north are probably familiar with Woodhead. It's one of the highest points. Thankfully, I wasn't driving it that day. I took my car, but uh, I think we got home at 2 a.m. that morning. We, we, of course, stayed and supported. But, yeah. yeah. I, still, I still don't think they replaced that bus, to be honest with you. But, yeah, it's, it's all part and parcel of the coaching role, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And if you don't do it, the lads don't get games. No, that's, that's absolutely... I think the closest Spencer and I ever came to falling out was I was responsible for organising the bus at, at, at Frickley for a season the first game and then when it arrived I mean I think it was something off I think it was something off an old, old movie and people were sending me pictures from the seats and you could see the road they could see the road under their feet like the Flintstones opening game of the season away at Newcastle Town 1-0 win I will never forget that bus turning up around like, oh I'll sort it don't worry don't worry what on earth is very that? cheap it was very cheap that bus very cheap, very economical for the club. Which, which happens in non-league. And of course, uh, Richard, you, you, you spent time in the semi-professional game as well at uh, Grantham Town. And uh, I would imagine very different challenges uh, to the professional game in semi-professional. Yeah, I mean, I spent, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think it's appropriate to term yourself a player if you weren't a professional. So that was where I spent my time as a player um, at that level. Um, and I'd already had management experience, actually, uh, when I was 23. I was appointed um, Barking and East Ham United's uh, player manager. Just uh, circumstance led to that situation. And it was a, a reformation of the league at the time. And in our division, you couldn't get relegated. And uh, so the, the chairman was stupid enough to commit to me being the manager for a couple of seasons. Um, and the remit for the first season was get together a squad that can compete next season. Where we finish this season doesn't matter. And that was to get, you know, you know, when I look back at the journey and, and where I am now, or what, what's shaped my way of thinking now, things like that, like Grantham, those experiences are so invaluable. It's frightening. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, even then at Barking, I think it was the, I was the, I think it was some some nonsense like the youngest manager in the country in senior football for five minutes. Um, but it got a bit of traction locally, so that allowed me to draw on that with you know West Ham, who were local. I think or at the time we got a couple of lads in boys that were being, hadn't quite got scholars or being released after their scholarships that weren't getting offers elsewhere. And, you know, by hook or by crook, you lean on all these different avenues, even at the age of 23. Um, and so that, you know, I still use some of those traits now and some of those values that you learn from those experiences. Um, and they all, they all tie into the, the bus driving scenario. All of those little bits and pieces add value somewhere, as long as you've got a mindset that recognises where they're adding value and you know how to utilise them later on. You know, I, I think there's... We're going to get onto some stuff about coaches and, and light bulb moments. And there's one that sticks out that's somewhat negative about another person that taught me a lot, which I've mentioned before. But um, yeah, the, the Grantham situation was, you know, a director at um, Knotts after we, you know, been sacked by Knotts. A director um, had bought a former director, a, I think, got involved somehow in the running of Grantham. Would you come down and help me? I need to know how to shape an entire club from top to bottom because they were sort of a director wow. of knots, but not involved in any way, just in name. So I had no run, knowledge of the running of a club. 
So he's going from the top down. I need the whole place. Like, what do I do right at every single level? And I'm going, again, I saw that as another experience for me, you know, potential yeah. technical director roles at a later date or something of that nature. I'm thinking this would be good to see if I can really support someone to shape the entire place. Um, and, you know, it's very typical of non-league clubs, you know, the, the budget was changing most weeks and, you know, the availability of players, all the usual things that are pitfalls and problems what you, you you need to be aware of in the moment is they are all shaping you and teaching you something you know and it's whether or not you recognize that you know i think it's become the, the information with our industry has become so more sort of widespread um and people tuning into something like this that attitude just to tune in to listen to someone they've never heard of let's be honest that attitude is going to take them a long way undoubtedly um because you've got to recognize that and it, like i say it's so free shared these days that those mistakes, the things you got wrong, you know, where it didn't go so well, they are the moments of most information coming back to you. There's instant feedback you're getting. Um, and if you harness and store that, then that's going to serve you well later on down the line. Um, so, yeah, the granting situation, we you know, I went in there for, I think, probably three or four, maybe four months. I can't remember specifically. Honestly, I think I went probably in October, maybe, um, and stayed till about February, March, when I got a call from Watford, would you come and work here? Um mm. And we'd had yeah, different, you know, we got beat four or five more than once. Um, you know, the usual stuff. We yeah. went on a good run, uh, managed to get a lad called Sean Harrod on loan. Um, great, fantastic fella, uh, off the pitch before anything else. Exceptional centre forward, who'd been very productive at Burton, for anyone that does or doesn't know him. And, um, you know, we managed, I managed somehow to get him on loan. I think he, I can't remember who from actually, but he wasn't, it wasn't going well from where he was. We had a new friend, got introduced, hit it off. He was desperately trying to break into coaching, which I think he's doing very well at now. Um, and, you know, it just worked really well. For, but I'm talking about a month or six weeks. Um, at the end of this loan period, it might have been two months, but in the loan period, the, the chairman's going, oh, you, you know, we climbed about four spots in the league. We got to about 13th. And um, he's going, oh, you're making this look too easy. We're, we're going to just start <laughs> budget. I'm going, what are you? <laughs> and I'm saying, listen, you asked me to come here to help guide you and shape the whole place. The, the first conversation wasn't come and be the coach, wasn't be the manager. It was help me guide the whole place. On day one, I became the manager and the coach. <laughs> Nobody to get anybody else to help me. Um, so, and, and some really good people, you know, Dennis Rule was there already as the assistant. Fantastic fella to lean on for local contacts. All the things you need, uh, you're vital. Yep. Which you realise are actually vital at every level. You know, even when we're in League Two at Knotts, you know, when I'm at Watford, listening to the technical director, it's still about your connections and who you can recruit and who you can't recruit, no matter what the level. Um, and so, you know, I need to lean on people around me for that. But uh, yeah, he said, oh, we're going we're to cut the budget. You're making this look too easy. Like, gosh, verbatim, that was what he said. And I've just gone, no, no, it's not, we're not making it look easy. We just happen to have got a couple of results, arguably against the run of play, because we're still somewhat disjointed. We're using players out of the 21s just because they don't cost us anything on the wage bill. All the usual stories. It's not, you know, it's, I'm sure there's plenty of people that might be listening and going, you know, that's what I deal with every week. And those, like I say, those, those experiences, shape what you'll you'll go on to do in the future and you'll be better at it and better for it but um it was a it's a really good experience you know Grantham was half an hour from Nottingham where I was living I yeah. really enjoyed being back involved at the level and, and I'm, I say the level like I'm oh it's it's, a, it's been my past it's been it's not that that's my whole background really I'm, yeah. I'm momentarily an outlier being at this level or as momentarily an outlier being with Watford because really I played non-league you know, I've worked at Orient. They've had bounced around because of the Italian sort of debacle that went on there yeah. briefly. 
Um, you know, my, my only experience at first team level is five minutes, let's be honest, for Notts County in League Two. Um, so that, that is what I perceive my level to be, really. But uh, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed spending time at Watford. I absolutely adore being here. Um, this is just a, an elite, high-performing environment. It's fantastic. So I'm really grateful for these opportunities. But um, And, you know, long may they continue. But I, I see the big Ranthams in this world and those clubs. I, I love that. I think some people seem to be under the illusion because it's semi-professional football. It's a part-time job. But it's not necessarily the case, is it, when you're at a Grantham town of this world? No, they really are. Because you, and again, it's, it comes back to your passion for what you do. Um, because you're passionate about it. You know, I'd be at, sitting at home, obviously. We're training Tuesday night, Thursday night, I think, because we, we didn't have a training place, a training ground of any sort. You know, they didn't want us to train on the pitch because of the damage. That was the local council enforcing that. You know, all these... Well, I got us in the, the, the local gym opposite with two badminton courts. So I think some, some weeks we only trained on the Thursday to play Saturday. Couldn't even train twice a week. Um, which means the rest of the time I was sat at home driving my wife insane, but you are constantly, you know, your head is going at 100 miles an hour. Who can I get? How can I get someone else? Where could we go and train? I don't know the area. I'm from the East End of London. I'm, you know, living in Nottingham in this little bubble because it was fantastic for five minutes. And now I'm driving half an hour out of that area to another area I don't know. I don't know it well enough to go, right, get us a training facility that we can use consistently. We can get some consistency into the boys. Um, so, but yeah, you know, it, was, it was challenging, but um, all those experiences that like I keep referring to just shape it, don't it? Good stuff. Ryan. Brilliant. Excellent. So, you know, let's move on to you know, kind of where you are, where you are now. Um, you're working in the, in, in the women's game and we've all seen fantastic progress that the women's game um, has made over the last couple of years not only in stature and, and, and coverage, but, but I think in terms of quality of, of, of the players um, as, as, as well. I know I've been to uh, a few WSL games, a few international games, um, and, uh, and it's very good. Uh, and, it's, and it's very good. But what do you see as the main difference between the men's game and, and, and the women's game at the moment? Um, it... I guess it sounds like a bit of a cop out, but I'm not sure I've been in it long enough. And it, no. I've got, you know, I'll, I'll give you more than that for, for sure. But for me, the, the, the differences appear to be political and off the pitch, yeah. um, which has been made very clear to me, you know, straight away, just in dialogue with the players, with the staff. Um, and we've got uh, what's great here we've got staff that have had their own vast array of experiences. And when you draw that together, sitting around the table having dinner and, and chatting about different things and places people have worked again i'm just like a sponge so i will take away from this chat regardless of what you guys say to me tonight or the questions you've posed i'll reflect on this for the next two three four days and probably in a few weeks i'll go oh, what about when you know ryan said because that's just my nature and I, I i'm just you know hungry for um for knowledge and you're sitting around the table listening to these people go, oh, i worked at this fa or i worked you know at this club I worked in the male game. I worked in the female game. I mean, you're drawing on all these different people's experiences, and if you're, you know, sensibly enough, you'll you'll try and capture a bit of that and make the most of it. Um, so for me, it's been, and it's been very apparent to me that the differences are primarily political and off the pitch, mm. because the FAW is working so hard to create parity, um, and there seems to be real support from the you know from the men's team. Not that I've had any exposure to them, but you know our games are on and. You know they're all together watching our games and we get like sort of a feed of that 
we do the same when they're playing naturally in the Euros earlier in the summer. And that, that feel-good vibe, which I appreciate, won't necessarily be with every country and every FA. Here, that is like, it's immeasurable. Like, it's so powerful, that, you know, that welcoming nature of everybody here, that real love for their country, you know, it, the passion is just overflowing and the connectivity and the camaraderie between the players is phenomenal. And from a, from a, a footballing perspective, not a lot. I'm working with the most elite players, which again, why I say I might not be best placed yet. Maybe in a few months' time, I might have a different answer. But at the moment, I'm working with players who compete in the Champions League, you know, compete in the NWSL, that have won the Champions League, you know, done everything. So... I'm seeing players that are unbelievably hungry to to win and do well, qualify for the first time for a major tournament, um, you know, compete like lunatics. I've got to be honest, like the intensity of training has blown me away. Um, and that largely comes down to the, the supporting players that might be aware. We've got, I suppose, a little bit of an age divide in our, in our group um, where the established starting team is somewhat established and they're, you know, very experienced players um, and have been in and around it a while and you know it's there are there are some youngsters very much on the verge of breaking in but the intensity they bring to training even though they know that they may have an awareness that they might not be starting is what drives everything and that that's something that i really recognize at Notts county not to go away from your question i will absolutely come back to it but at Notts county now in the season when we had the full season to actually do some work um we were able to have two very good players in every position and that drove the standards monday to friday yeah. And any player knew that if I'm off it for more than two or three games in a row, there is a ready-made replacement to go, ready to go. And um, as a result, that just drove the intensity every day of the week. And it was so obvious to see. And it was as obvious to see the drop-off after the, the season where we finished in the playoffs when they made all the changes. Um, or you know, We had a number of changes that were forced upon us, which is another story. Um, but we were looking to get 20-year-olds, 18 to 20-year-olds, as those backup players in every position. So we're gonna have a starting 11 and then it was backup players everywhere and the intensity just naturally dropped off. And what I've been, you know, and we try and explain that to someone who's not a football person who's sitting at the hierarchy of the club or in the hierarchy of the club or at the top of the club. They go, no, 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 we, no we, we turn them into, you know, rough diamonds or polish them up and yep. you can do that. But you can't just do that on mass where it's very rare that you can just do that on mass with a, you know, a group like that. And here it's a very, it's, it's somewhat similar to that later stages at Knott's We've got a very experienced group and a very young group. And some of those, you know, we've got one or two younger players who are just surprising me all of the time with the quality, um, you know, because I'm learning the environment. I'm having, I've been really lucky that I'm, I'm watching a, obviously a lot of footage now and I'm picking up um, little nuances and, and the, you know, who the standout players are within the, the global game for the women's game. Um, and we have got some players here who absolutely be on the world stage in the next three to five years, without Thanks. a doubt. Like, you know, it's, it's, I, I think, that, and I keep saying to Gemma that the, the future is very bright for Welsh women's football because in preparation for the camps, we go and work with the performance squad. So Lauren Dykes, ex-player, one of the assistant coaches here with me, uh, you know, for, for Gemma, she runs the performance squad as well. And she is actually leaving camp tomorrow to go to Sweden with her under-17s. But she's responsible for running the 17s and the 19s. And um, in preparation for the camp, we may go and, and work with the performance squad um, to prep on some of the sessions that we want to deliver just so that we know you know the subtle difference you know time changes or whatever it is the bits that we might want to tweak based on the opponents we've got coming up and so we'll go and work with them and the quality is fantastic and that's why i say the future is really bright so 
for me, the differences are not on the pitch, they're off the pitch. It's, yeah. it's really is the, the, um, the, the head of women's football. They are working so hard to create parity between the two. And, you know, basic examples, we're, we're chartered flights. So we fly to Estonia last month. You know, we pull up next to the plane, we're up, you know, we're the only people going through the airport and back again. You know, yeah. that's something that happened um, for this group in the past. So it's, it's about trying to make those, and then, you know, that costs money. I'm very aware of that. So it's clearly they're making a conscious effort to invest more heavily. I think that's where Noel Mooney, no, no, Noel Mooney's going to play a huge part. Uh, new CEO of, of coming in and, and trying to create that. His, his first meeting is, listen, we're going to get parity. We want to be one of the first nations to get parity between the two teams. A, a beacon of good practice, you know, in the industry, um, male and female. So that that's just so great for the staff and the, and the girls to hear. Um, so I think the differences are primarily off the pitch. But like I say, once I've been through a full cycle of World Cup qualifiers, maybe I've got a different opinion. I can say, you know what, having worked 20 years with the men, and now spent an actual year and really got into nuts and bolts yep. of it. Um, I think that the one standout on the grass is probably girls wanting to know the why more than the more than the lads. Um, you know, oftentimes the lads can produce what you want. I've worked with some obviously very good players. And just produce it. I don't necessarily want to know why you're asking them to do it. Which yep. is the girls really want the why, which is fascinating and fantastic because as coaches, we always want to give the why. We, you know, you can hear me now. I'm doing too much talking already. But we want to talk. We want to impart our knowledge and, and help and say, look, you could be better if you could do. So when you've got you know, a group of players standing in front of you going, go on, tell us some more. You know, you've got to manage the intervention. I'm not suggesting this all takes place on the grass. But working with people that want to know more and want to get the theory of the game. How do we manufacture these moments and provoke and, and pick people off? Not just, yeah, I can do that for you and execute momentarily because the learning doesn't sink in. We know that, you know, yeah. we can repeat action a million times, but unless there's some understanding behind it, yeah. they're not going to necessarily use it in the right moment or the right time. So that's, that's a notable difference that they really want the why and the, the dialogue and the engagement is second to none, I've got to be honest. Yeah, more inquisitive. And then values are obviously really important, Richard, uh, you know, for, for Wales as a nation uh, and the passion of the fans for not just football, but rugby union in particular. But how do you go about instilling values within uh, the Wales women's team? Uh, and what are the key values that you work towards? Yeah, uh, we, the girls came up there. We were actually away with um, four Marines in the summer. Uh, we went to Brecon Beacons because obviously it's not too far from our base here at the Vale. Um, and that was, if some, you know, I, I would never have believed we were, we were with them for, I think, about 18 to 20 hours. So overnight, we arrived at so maybe I don't know, eight o'clock on, uh, on the Sunday night, seven o'clock, and left at, let's say, four or five the day, four or five the day before, uh, the, the day after. So it wasn't a, a long window of time. And the volume of content that they were able to include in that window of time was staggering. Um, that you know they were they were fantastic. What they you know what they delivered, what they shared with us, which was eye opening itself. Their stories from you know different fields within the Marine Corps, um, and then you know uh, I sound American now. My wife's American within the Marines. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, so that, you know they, what they shared with us in terms of leadership, you know, creating a culture themselves, being accountable to each other, because obviously so much is on the line for them in their field uh, most of the time. Um, and just being able to link into some of those, uh, some of those values and that, and that reality. Um, and the girls really enjoyed it. Um, we camped out overnight and then did some, you know, 
took a small walk on the following day. We did some ropes and some you know climbing walls. Um, and just that camaraderie was started to be developed. But we also the point to let you know that is that on that in that sort of twenty to twenty four hour block, we also had the girls work on what values we were going to work from going forwards. And they so it was driven by them. Mm. Uh, I think ours for finalised with um, family respect and excellence um, because we felt most other topics we discussed we could sort of put under one of those three banners and they you know they could filter out to be a million and one different topics aren't they um but we were trying to you know we were speaking about less is more generally we don't want it to be a million words if we can say it in three or four but we all know what i mean that's yeah. powerful and, and easier to, to go with but so they, they are the values that the girls came up with we covered lots of content about what that meant in terms of behaviors um and the bottom line is, undoubtedly, you have to live them from the top. You know, I've said this many a times, I'm open to it already, but it has to be top-down driven. Um, if it's coming from the bottom, it's a mutiny. And in this industry, a mutiny won't work because you can't oust the person at the top who's in there controlling it with the money or an FA. So, you know, it, it has to come from the top down if you want it to be successful, if you want it to be embedded within your environment. And so you have to live and breathe those values, you, you know, treating people with respect, being courteous and polite, being organized and efficient, doing the job appropriately, all the usual buzzwords that we, we would suspect are probably going to bring us some success. They have to be lived and breathed by the people at the top. Otherwise, it's going to fall in its face pretty quick from my experience. And by uh, the players, you know, creating their own values, you know, of uh, family respect and excellence. So if one of the players, you know, doesn't abide by those values, do you have like a self-regulation amongst the players where they'll, they'll pick them up uh, and mention it? Or Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'll get in trouble for sharing it, but I'm, I think, really good. And hopefully the players that may hear this at some point or the staff won't mind. But the Marines, I wasn't aware, um, have a saying, check your flashes, which is, you know, what something that's on their shoulder. Um, and it, it's sort of twofold and it might be you're getting a bit too big for your boots check your flashes calm down a bit or it might be you're showing an element of insecurity or nervousness I don't know if I can actually do this check your flashes you're a marine you can do yeah. this so it can work to one of two ways and they use it to each other in the moment which is you know which is some of the stuff they imparted to us and it has really stuck check your dragon um, because okay. it's on our chest and it, yeah. it, it, it's just a really powerful message yeah. that and we are but it, it takes some work that you, regardless of what strap line you want to come up with that's not the bit that matters the bit that matters is being brave enough to say that to someone because um, obviously one side of that is really easy if someone's feeling a bit any sort of self-doubt to say check your dragon you're part of the world squad it, it means something you, you're you're of a level and you're capable that's an easy positive reinforcement for somebody that's an easy one to say, but to say to a senior player or a member of staff or someone else, hey, check your check your dragon, because they've underperformed or dropped the standards that we perceive to be, you know, what we expect. Um, that takes a bit of courage for you know we've got players in the group as, as young as 17 and 18. So that cultivating that safe environment where players know, you yeah. know, and I've literally just left the meeting prior to this one. I've been in meetings since five o'clock till seven o'clock, and the last part of that was communication to each other. Um, and so it's really important that everybody knows it's coming from a good place um, and it's safe to have that sort of dialogue because that is what a high performance environment is going to allow and demand that we can be honest and open. It's not personal. It's not judgmental. It's for development of you individually, for the group, for our, our culture. 
Yeah. I, I find that really interesting, actually. Really, but by saying that, it does really depersonalise being able to say to somebody either, like, come on, or, or what, what are you doing? And actually, it's this, you know, this, this inanimate object of, uh, of, 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 of what is the essence of not only Welsh football, but obviously the Dragon plays a big part across Welsh, Welsh culture, doesn't it? You know, across, across all the sports. And I know that, you know, the rugby union for years used to, used to, used to, you know, benchmark against that and use that a, a lot as, as well. So, I mean, I, I really like that. I know what you think, Spencer, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that you know, want to use values, but actually the, the what into the why, it's not easy, is it? Yeah, I think you, you you see a lot of values, you know, whether it's in academies or in businesses, and they're just basically corporate wallpaper. They're just words yeah. on a wall, and it's important that they are lived. If any organisation, whatever it may be, is going to have any chance of success, but having the purpose, you know, that's the starting point for me. You know, you know your why, you know, what you're here to do, uh, which is clear with Wales women and with the, the men's team, of course, you know, where you want to be at the end of it. Um, and, you know, in, in terms of um, living the values and having that, you know, a term that's used now is psychological safety, where people feel comfortable to, to come forward and, you know, give their opinion. Now, obviously, General was appointed, I think, March 21. I think you were about May, weren't you, Richard? So you've not been in the post that long. So how did you go about really creating that culture? There's a trip to the Marines, obviously, where you spoke about values. But was it a, a stage of getting to know each other uh, and on a more personal level? Yeah, I mean, that's... Yes, there is, but I think you can do that. In my opinion, you can do that immediately in the in the way that you work with people. Um, and for me personally, it, to get you know to, to make people appreciate, understand how genuine you are or are not, I guess. Uh, I think it's about being honest and consistent. Um, they have to know that you've got a genuine care. You know, you've got to, you've got to be very selfless in our roles as coaches because basically you're trying to educate someone else to be better at what they do you know it's not for us yeah. and that that sort of is my now go-to almost red flag around any staff in any environment um that if it's more about them than it is about the players we might have a problem yeah. um if it's you know so that that's straight away the way you deal with players for me is that you're honest and so they, they know that one you're going to be honest but it's in the right manner so and you're committed. If they know that you're committed to their improvement, then you're going to get buy-in. If you haven't got your best friends, you haven't got to necessarily like each other. There's got to be a working respect there, which is much like a group of players. And we've had this conversation this evening. Um, we're very fortunate here that they're, like I said, I keep referring to it, the camaraderie is phenomenal. Something I've never witnessed before, actually. Um, and but I said, you know, in your clubs, you might not have that same connection. You know, you might not feel quite as passionately about every teammate, which is very unique but you've got to have a working respect with that person or working respect for that person um so that you can get on and do your jobs to the best of your abilities and still produce and progress and all those things but i think it really is in those is to, those two ways you've got to be honest and they've got to know that you genuinely want to help them improve um and those two things are not difficult to show um and they're not difficult to recognize if i'm giving you the right level of attention the amount of time required and we're working together on the grass, that is, listen, I'm just five minutes, I want you to stay out on your own, or we're going to have 10 minutes before everybody else. Just come and look at some clips. And these are not new ways of working. I'm not reinventing the wheel here, but these are things that cement that relationship, I believe, that they go, well, this, this person's really invested in me. Like, like, yeah. well, I mean, this is every day I'm getting this two or three minutes of feedback. 
doesn't need to be much more because it can easily become overkill and like, oh, Christ, he wants me again. Why, why is it me today? So you, you, it's a fine balance. You've got to have that social filter to know, uh, mm. you know I might have probably gone a bit too far now. But that is, uh, I think that's really important that those two things are, are present, that you know, they, they appreciate you are spending a lot of time with them. You genuinely want the best for them. But at the same time, you've got to be very honest. And if that's, you know, that's not all positive feedback. Oh, it's wonderful. It's great. No, this wasn't good enough. And as long as that's in the right manner and you explain and lay the foundations that that is for development purposes and understanding. And I make a big point when I work with groups to say, um, and the same here, and after I'm, you know, a fish out of water, really. Female game, international level. Two things I've never experienced before. So I'm the one doing all the learning and, mm. and, and making all the mistakes. And they know that they can pull me on it anytime they like and explain, listen, why? What, you know, what you're doing? Because I want that feedback and I'll feed off of that and I'll not make the same mistake too often. Um, mm. You know, also another key part of developing, isn't it? Yeah. But it's really important that at the start we explain we're going to do this publicly sometimes. So if we're going to sit and do some analysis um, or if I'm going to criticize or question something you're doing out on the grass, it's for the benefit of everybody. They need to know that this is something you're working on or we can might be able to support your development on, which will accelerate your development in the classroom or you know in the, in the video room. Listen, we're going to do this publicly. It's not just me and you because now half the room don't know, half your teammates don't know. It means they can't support you in this. We're going to make it. It's not to ridicule. It's not to belittle anybody. It's for your development and the rest of the group's development. So we're going to make it public. Mm. Is everyone comfortable with that? And when I think mm. when you dress it up that way, not too many people are going to have complaints about that. You know, mm. not working with egotistical maniacs here. We're working with people that want to just get better, just got this appetite and hunger to be better. So they're, they're likely to, you know, go after that. And I think if you dress it up that it's going to be public, it takes away that fear factor of I've made a mistake. Oh, that's coming up in the video room. Yeah, it is. But we're going to find a solution. We're going to look at the options you did have. And you're going to find, you know, I'm not going to sit and tell. The video is going to show everybody. And you're going to go, I should have done or I could have considered. Um, as long as you get that sort of uh, foundation right, it, it opens up doorways for you to crack on, I think. Yeah, I think the way that you frame it as well and encouraging that safety, you know, it's a safe environment. You know, whatever you watch on, on the video clips is for everybody's development as well. Uh, I think absolutely key. Ryan, I can't actually believe that uh, it's nearly 20 past eight. So Yeah, yeah. so we've yeah, we've reached the halfway point. So it's um, it's time for us all to have a quick break. As, as always, we've got a question um, from the guest uh, to you guys that we want you to answer in the chat box. Um, during um, the, the break and then we'll be on to more player development and coach development topics when we're back but uh, but Richard what, what's the question that you'd like to ask people so I've got uh, at what age if at all should we pigeonhole players into specific positions right so at what age if at all should we pigeonhole players into specific positions have a think and an answer of that um, over the next five minutes um, and yeah, it's 19 minutes past now, so we'll be back in, you know, we'll be back by 22, 23 minutes past eight. <laughs> 